Why is our gut so important? Nearly 2,500 years ago, Hippocrates apparently claimed that all disease begins in the gut. While today, while today we know that that isn't exactly the case, the notion does emphasize the importance of healthy bowel habits in our daily lives. A happy gut is something we often take for granted. Unfortunately, over 300,000 Canadians and almost 7 million people worldwide live with inflammatory bowel disease. Crohn's disease is one of the two major forms of inflammatory bowel disease, or IBD, the other being ulcerative colitis. It's a disorder that causes inflammation along any part of the gastrointestinal tract, resulting in symptoms including abdominal pain, altered bowel habits, and bloody stools. It can even cause complications outside of the gut. Today, our patient has Crohn's disease, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast written by medical residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is titled, A Scoping Review, An Approach to Crohn's Disease. Time for our minute physiology. The key functions of the intestinal tract include the absorption of nutrients and excretion of digestive waste products, acting as a barrier against gut contents, and mucosal immunity, including both innate and adaptive functions. To accomplish these roles, there is complex interplay between the interstitial epithelium, the immune system, and the gut microbiome. While the pathogenesis of Crohn's disease is complex and not fully understood, it is thought to be related to disruption of these processes, as well as genetic factors. The intestinal epithelium is comprised of a single layer of simple columnar epithelial cells joined through tight junctions and intersped with immune cells. To ensure proper functioning as an effective barrier, the epithelium is covered by a layer of mucus produced by goblet cells. Immune cells, including the myelogenous cells of the innate immune system and B and T lymphocytes of the adaptive immune system, must recognize and act against pathogens while simultaneously preventing an excessive response to food antigens or commensal microbiomes. The gut microbiome also plays a crucial role in regulating mucosal immunity, especially by competing against harmful bacteria for colonization and nutrients, and also has an important nutritional role, for example, by metabolizing cellulose or producing vitamin K. Finally, there are more than 240 genetic susceptibility loci for inflammatory bowel disease, with some conferring a greater risk of Crohn's disease compared to ulcerative colitis. The NOD2 gene is the most significant of these in terms of risk of developing Crohn's disease. The protein encoded by this gene responds to bacterial peptidoglycan, facilitating elimination of enteric pathogens. Mutations of this protein affect the composition of the gut microbiota and increase susceptibility to microbes. In fact, a single mutant allele increases the risk of Crohn's disease by 1.5 to 3.7 times. However, inheriting two mutant alleles increases a person's risk by 17 to 40 times. As you can see, there are many components of a healthy, functioning gut, and when any part is compromised, it can have numerous consequences. The pathogenesis of Crohn's disease includes a genetic susceptibility, then an inciting event leading to chronic immune dysregulation, resulting in a breakdown of the physical epithelial barrier and the development of transmural inflammation and local tissue damage, including abscesses, ulcers, and strictures. What sort of patient should you suspect Crohn's in? The typical age range for onset is 15 to 30 years of age, with a second peak being the ages of 50 to 80. 
However, Crohn's disease can occur in patients of any age, and symptom onset may be acute, or preceding symptoms may develop several years prior to presentation. Your first step in any patient encounter will be to assess whether your patient is stable or not. Patients who have large volume bleeding, dehydration, or electrolyte derangements may present in a hypovolemic unstable state, so it's important to ensure that the patient is hemodynamically stable before proceeding with a more thorough assessment for Crohn's disease. Crohn's disease often presents with nonspecific complaints including abdominal pain, diarrhea that may or may not contain blood, and systemic symptoms such as fatigue or weight loss. Extraintestinal symptoms are often present as well, so it's important to ask about these. A few examples are arthritis or arthropathy, eye involvement such as uveitis or scleritis, or skin disorders such as erythema nodosum or pyroderma gangrenosum, and perianal fistulas or skin tags. Make sure to ask about a family history of IBD, as 12% of Crohn's patients have a family history. Also ask about a family history of GI or other malignancies and genetic disorders such as hereditary non-polyposis colorectal cancer, also known as Lynch syndrome, or familial adenomatous polyposis. Since the symptoms of Crohn's disease overlap with several other gastrointestinal disorders, it's important to ask questions that may point towards key differential diagnoses, including ulcerative colitis, which is another form of IBD, irritable bowel syndrome, celiac disease, lactose intolerance, infectious colitis, ischemic colitis, and diverticular disease. Inquire about the frequency and time course of abdominal pain, its relation to defecation, any changes in stool frequency, and changes in stool appearance. Inquire about blood in the stool, including the amount, color, frequency, and whether it's frank or mixed with the stool. Notably, nocturnal defecation often suggests an organic cause. Also ask about triggers for abdominal pain and diarrhea, including common food intolerances such as lactose or wheat. Specifically ask about preceding infectious features, including flu-like symptoms, sick contacts, and nausea and vomiting. Assess for cardiovascular risk factors, which may point to an ischemic type colitis. On physical examination, perform a general inspection looking for pallor, jaundice, signs of weight loss, and eye and skin manifestations of IBD. If there is a complaint of perianal pain, inspection of the area is useful to look for fistulae or perianal fissures. A rectal examination may be indicated to evaluate for hemorrhoids. On abdominal examination, palpate for areas of tenderness and organomegaly and auscultate for bowel sounds. Also, perform a brief musculoskeletal examination for arthritic changes. Although no single investigation can conclusively rule in or rule out Crohn's disease, there are important investigations to include in a preliminary workup. Include a CBC to check for anemia and signs of leukocytosis to suggest an infection. However, white blood cell count is often increased due to inflammation, as is platelet count. Check the electrolytes, creatinine, and urea, since patients may have reduced oral intake and present with dehydration, electrolyte imbalances, or even acute kidney injury. Order iron studies of vitamin B12 level and vitamin D level to evaluate for signs of nutritional deficiencies and malabsorption. CRP is useful as it may indicate inflammation consistent with Crohn's disease. However, since it's an acute phase reactant, it is not specific for the diagnosis, and not all patients make CRP. Other important tests include celiac serology, specifically an anti-tissue transglutaminase antibody level, and stool culture, ova and parasite screen, and C. difficile testing. 
Fecal calprotectin is a test sometimes used to differentiate IBD and IBS. However, this test isn't usually funded by public Medicare plans in Canada and isn't routinely used in the diagnosis of Crohn's disease. A definitive diagnosis of Crohn's disease can only be made with endoscopic evaluation and biopsy. Typically, an ileocolonoscopy is performed, with upper endoscopy reserved for patients who are also having upper GI symptoms. Key macroscopic features include skip lesions, which are inflamed, ulcerated, and edematous sections in a discontinuous pattern, and the cobblestone sign, when there are focal signs of deep ulceration next to areas of normal-appearing mucosa. Key histopathological features are transmural inflammation, which is a hallmark of Crohn's disease, and non-caseating granulomas. Imaging such as CT or MR enterography is frequently used to evaluate for disease in the mid-small bowel that is not readily accessible endoscopically. The management of Crohn's disease can be quite complex and nuanced, and the full details of management can be found in the Canadian Association of Gastroenterology Clinical Practice Guideline for the management of luminal Crohn's disease for those interested. However, a simplified approach more within the scope, no pun intended, of this podcast can be broken down into acute and chronic management. Acute management is based on inducing remission of disease and is referred to as induction therapy. Remission can be assessed on a clinical and laboratory, endoscopic, or histological basis. In order to select the appropriate level of therapy, the severity of the disease is classified as mild to moderate or moderate to severe. The severity of disease depends on symptoms and endoscopic evaluation. There is further nuance depending on the disease location. Risk factors for more severe disease include early age of onset, male sex, smoking, rectal or perianal disease, to name a few. The algorithms for management can be complicated, but the basic approach can either be step-up therapy, meaning that less potent medications are used to start and stepped up as needed, or the top-down approach, meaning that more potent therapies are used first. Remember, non-clinical factors such as drug coverage also influence choice of step-up or step-down approach. In Canada, most drug plans, and certainly the ODB or provincial plans, require a step-up approach, only paying for biologics if patients have failed more inexpensive therapies. The step-up approach is typically used in mild to moderate disease or low-risk moderate to severe disease. This involves starting with steroids, typically prednisone or bedenzide, and subsequently adding immunomodulators, typically methotrexate or thiopurines then advancing to biologics if induction cannot be achieved otherwise. The top-down approach is used for high-risk, moderate to severe disease. The first-line medications in this case are the biologic agents, which include anti-TNF, examples such as infliximab and adalubumab. Immunomodulators may be used in a combination with biologics in some cases. A consideration before starting immunomodulators is to screen for conditions including tuberculosis, hepatitis B, and C. Chronic management of Crohn's disease revolves around the maintenance of remission. In mild to moderate disease, if remission is achieved with first-line steroid therapy, the steroids are typically tapered down and then stopped. Repeat endoscopic evaluation is typically done to ensure continued remission, and periodically thereafter. In mild to moderate disease that requires the addition of an immunomodulator to achieve remission, or in low-risk, moderate to severe disease, the steroid is tapered off, leaving just an immunomodulator for maintenance. Finally, in high-risk, moderate to severe disease, biologics are typically used for maintenance. Note that 5-ASA drugs are typically used in ulcerative colitis, and the role of these medications in Crohn's disease is less established. Finally, 
Regular clinical endoscopic reassessment is an important part of the continued management of Crohn's disease. There are exciting up-and-coming developments in Crohn's disease therapy, including drugs such as selective Janus kinase inhibitors. Did you know that there is an association between northern latitudes and decreased sunlight exposure with the increased prevalence of Crohn's disease? Interestingly, there are other disease processes with similar geographic trends, such as multiple sclerosis. Thank you for listening to today's episode, entitled A Scoping Review, An Approach to Crohn's Disease. This episode was written by Dr. Prem Bohi, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Drs. Swan Pritchett, gastroenterology, and Dr. Thawanka Wijeranti, general internal medicine. The Internetwork series was created by Alison Lai and developed by Zara Morali and Leah Kernopoulos. This podcast was produced and recorded by Zara Morali. Music production by Laxman's of Anthem Mohan. Please check out our website to theinternetwork.com for an associated Crohn's infographic and several other resources. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon.